What will the future of NIL and athlete compensation in college sports look like? Amanda Kristovich of Front Office Sports is here to help us break it all down. Locked On Women's Basketball starts now. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, hi, hello, everybody. You are locked on to women's basketball. I'm Isabel Rodriguez. I'm a contributing writer over at The Next. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember that Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. On today's show, we're talking all things NIL and college athletes. Amanda Kristovich has been covering this over at Front Office Sports, and I'm so excited that she's here joining us today. We'll break down what NIL is, what its deals entail, and landmark cases against the NCAA, as well as how women's basketball players and teams have been and continue to be at the forefront of all of this. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks so much for making time to come talk to us about what's been one of the most interesting topics in college sports over the last couple of years. I want to kind of kick off our discussion by laying some foundations and kind of figuring out how you got into all of this at Front Office Sports. So give us the down low. How did you first find out about this and, and how, did, how did you start covering NIL over at FOS? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I basically got into covering NIL um, because I finished my graduate uh, journalism program straight into um, May of 2020, the height of the pandemic. Um, and at the time, there were no sports journalism jobs, really, besides sports business jobs, because there was like there were no sports, as you probably remember, but there was a ton <laughs> of sports, quote unquote, business news. Um, which was that everyone was losing all their money. So, um, I was able, I was very fortunate to get the job at front office sports. Um, and they were looking for someone who could, um, you know, cover the college beat in general, sort of the business side. And, um, I had worked in my athletic department in college and sort of had a general understanding of what, um, I guess the direction that college sports was going in. And then I had also, done a little bit of reporting early on about the impact of social media on um, sort of the younger athlete population. So um, it, it was a pretty easy transition to get into a role where, you know, we were like, okay, this NIL thing is, you know, so I started July of 2020 um, and NIL uh, started July of 2021. So we had about a year of like, this thing is going to happen and what is it going to mean? You know, so I had a year to prepare. Um, no amount of preparation would have prepared me for what ended up happening. <laughs> I think it's safe to say, but um, that's kind of like how I got into it. Definitely. So that's how you got into all of this. Um, yes. And I guess the first thing that I, I kind of want to talk about is how the NCAA got involved with all of yeah. this and, and where they kind of first started with regulating NIL and kind of how that intersects with the idea that we hear so often from the NCAA, which is that college sports are amateur sports at the heart of it. 
Right. Um, so I think the best way or the best place to start um, would probably be uh, the decision in the O'Bannon v. NCAA case, which was decided several years ago. Um, it was it, it was essentially saying that um, so there used to be EA college sports, EA college football, EA college basketball. Um, and um, Ed O'Bannon, um, a USC or excuse me, UCLA athlete, basically sued the NCAA for um, the fact that technically his name, I don't believe, was in the game, but it was very clear that like there was an athlete in the game that was supposed to be him. Basically, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he sort of said, "Wait a second, why is it that I'm not allowed to get paid for this?" Um, but it's me and the NCAA gets to make all that money. So he sued. And I mean, basically one, I mean, basically like the, it, it, it was found that the NCAA can't use mm -hmm. um, athletes names, images, or likenesses outside of promoting an actual game um, mm -hmm. legally, unless they wanted to pay them. And so instead of the NCAA paying them in 2014, they just said, we're not going to do this at all. Uh, Cause that's how much they didn't want to pay them. So fast forward to 2019, um, a state law in California was passed that basically said that it would be illegal in the state of California for the NCAA to prohibit athletes from profiting off of their NIL. Um, and, and just one thing that I want to point out that I feel like is um, sort of can can get lost in the sauce a little bit is that um every person in the united states of america has nil rights um mm -hmm. it, it's a it's an economic right that everyone in this country has and when you become an ncaa athlete pre-nil you actually signed that right away mm -hmm. to be an ncaa athlete so all of the state laws that that came about were basically prohibiting the NCAA from prohibiting NIL. <laughs> like it's weird double negative. But um <laughs> so that so in 20 the NCAA tried to fight it. They were not successful. Um mm -hmm. they tried to threaten the California, you know, the California state legislature and say we're gonna kick out all the California schools from the NCAA. Of course that didn't happen. Um and fast forward to 2021, they which that was when they decided to implement, um, you know, a blanket sort of, they, they lifted the ban from, uh, from a blanket perspective because that was when the first state law was gonna take effect. So they mm -hmm. wanted sort of an even keeled, um, I guess, landscape, if that makes sense. Definitely. And so the 2019 case that you're talking about um, is the, that's the Alston case versus the NCAA. Or is that so? Yeah. So there was the O'Bannon case, which was um, mm -hmm. 2014. Then, so th this was a state law that was passed in 2019 right. in California. Um, mm -hmm. And then the Alston case was decided in June of 2021 at the Supreme Court level, um, which isn't directly about NIL, but it had a very indirect effect on the way that um, the NCA was able to govern NIL. Definitely. And I think that's one case that's come up a lot recently because there's another case that we'll talk about later that's had some pretty significant has shaken things up a little bit even more so mm -hmm. going back to this alston case it's an antitrust case um yes. against the ncaa and it made it all the way to the supreme court you wrote about it pretty extensively 
I guess, why is an antitrust case so powerful in terms of athletes trying to make this case for compensation? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think so. Um, the economists who um, sort of have spearheaded the the sort of athlete ad like financial athlete advocacy movement basically came to the conclusion, and this is the case um, with O'Bannon, with Alston, and with Johnson, mm -hmm. and with House, um, that antitrust law is the the way to go in terms of trying to to prove that the NCAA's business model is illegal. Um, the most layman's term, like I am not a lawyer, nor could I pretend to be one, uh, explanation of antitrust law is that um, it, it, it's the Sherman Antitrust Act is essentially what governs the free market in this country, right? It's what mm -hmm. says that price fixing is illegal with the exception, you know, with a few exceptions. Um, you know, we're supposed to have capitalism. We're supposed to be able to have competition in the market. So the the reason that antitrust is important for college sports is because these cases have been arguing that the NCAA for very in various places in its business model has been price fixing at zero. Mm -hmm. And so you can then take that all the way to the Supreme Court as we Absolutely. as we saw. Yeah, so the O'Bannon case was saying that they were price fixing the value of an athlete's name, image and likeness at zero essentially not compensating them for it. Um, the Alston case was, it's not essentially, it's not exactly price fixing at zero, but it was, the Alston case was about the limits that the NCA put on educational benefits mm -hmm. um, that schools could provide, right? So that's supposedly um, a price fix. Um, Johnson is about whether, or Johnson's a little more labor law. It's about whether or not athletes should be considered employees under the law. Um, mm -hmm. which is a legal designation. And then House um, is is sort of antitrust because it's NIL related too. And it's basically saying that the, the definition of NIL is a lot broader than um, the NCAA is willing to admit. And so all of this is wrapped up, I mean, in the context of NIL, especially after the NCAA made it possible to use those, use those um, your name, image, and likeness in deals for publicity, once that mm -hmm. once that was allowed, everything kind of changed. And we'll get to that in just a second. Um, coming up, we'll talk about how women's basketball players and teams have factored into all of this, um, including those recent shakeups that we just mentioned. So we all know how ExpressVPN protects your privacy and security online, right? But here's something you might not know. You can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Maybe you've run out of stuff to watch on Netflix, this will change your world. ExpressVPN allows you to binge plenty of other different shows, and it's so simple to do that. Just sign into your streaming service, fire up ExpressVPN, change your location, refresh your streaming site, and that's it. ExpressVPN lets you control where you want sites to think you're located, and you can choose from almost 100 different countries. Just imagine all the libraries you can go through. But it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN also works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream in HD no problem. ExpressVPN also works on all of your devices, from phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on the big screen or on the go. If you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, go to expressvpn.com slash locked on right now, 
and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash locked on. expressvpn.com slash locked on to learn more. Welcome back. Um, so now we're going to talk to, now we're going to talk a little bit about to the, how women's basketball teams and players have kind of factored into all of this. So especially in light of the gender equity report, which kind of came about around the same time, mm-hmm. um, obviously we saw what happened at the women's basketball championship with Sedona Prince um, and, and then what came of that in, in the gender equity review. Um, and there's a significant gender equity component to the NIL discussion as well. I mean, South Carolina has its team NIL deal. LSU is one of the first teams to announce a dedicated NIL director on its team. So these teams have kind of been on that forefront of innovation within the NIL space in general. Um, So I'm curious to know from you, since you've kind of had your finger on the pulse of all this, um, how the conversation around NIL valuation of female athletes has changed and, and how that kind of factors into the general gender equity conversation that we've been having over the past year and a half or so. Absolutely. I think in the beginning, particularly before NIL, any of these sort of like sports and economics experts would have told you that um, not only are all women's sports athletes poised for major earning potential, but that in many ways they have skills just inherent to like being an athlete who plays women's sports because women's sports don't get the coverage that men's sports get. So mm-hmm. athletes who play women's sports know how to market themselves, know how to mm-hmm. tell their own stories because they have to. So those skills directly translate to making money in NIL, particularly when a lot of NIL dollars are social media posts and like, you know, tangible content. But I would say the general public did not recognize that. And the NCAA used that as um, almost like a cudgel to say like, oh, NIL is only going to be good for a select few, like, you know, men's football and basketball players. When in fact, that was not the case at all. And not only was it not the case, but I mean, for many women's sports, obviously not basketball, but many other ones, the NCAA is as high as you can get in this country um, if you play women's a, a women's sport. So that's the biggest platform you're ever going to have. So if you can't monetize that, then you're never, you know, when are you ever going to be able to, unless right. you maybe go overseas, et cetera. So um, I think when NIL started, people started to, you know, and to this day, it's been what, 18 months to this day, Whenever I write an article about, you know, the power of female athletes, women's sports athletes and their earning potential, I always get like surprise, like people are surprised and I'm like, where have you been? <laughs> like what, <laughs> particularly with basketball, I mean, um, there are all these NIL companies during this past um, March Madness cycle, we're talking about how you know, the majority of like all the top 10 earners and like, you know, that were left in, um, you know, the sweet 16, for example, like the majority were um, on the women's side. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is, you know, people are still surprised by it. I don't know why they're surprised by it. Um, I'm assuming your audience is not surprised by it, but people are, trust me. I can imagine. Yeah. And I mean, there's one thing that you briefly mentioned there that I've always found kind of interesting is the idea of like an NIL collective 
or a, a group that forms around um, helping student athletes within a specific sport or at a specific school, helping them figure out how this works and, and, and where to even go with it. Um, and I'm curious whether like how, like when you notice those starting to pop up and, and mm -hmm. whether you noticed any trends with where they were popping up or, or who was benefiting most from those. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in sort of the winter, you know, January through March is when collectives really started, um, I guess sort of catching the attention of the headlines. Um, the vast majority of collectives are still, um, focusing on football and men's basketball mm -hmm. from a recruiting perspective. However, there have been an increasing number of collectives that either are supposed to be for the entire athletic department or they're specific to a particular women's sport. So for example, I believe Utah women's gymnastics now has a collective. Um, mm -hmm. That's an example of, you know, a team that is, has nationwide renown um, that is at the top of its sport that regularly sells out, um, you know, its competitions. And right. as a result of that, the local community has not only said um, that we want to invest in that, but we want to put specific effort into investing in this sport and mm -hmm. this one only, Not which is, isn't to say that there aren't opportunities for other sports at Utah, right? Um, right? So I think that as as the, you know, as we get further into the NIL era, um, there will be more collectives for women's sports, women's basketball teams, gymnastics, softball, et cetera. It's just a question of like, you go, you know, you got to think about like the big boosters at these schools a lot, you know, and like the football boosters. Well, they're already sort of um, galvanized in raising money right. for their football team. So it's easy. The infrastructure was almost already it's there. Already there. Right. Yeah. But I will say that there are, there are plenty of examples across the country. I mean, and again, yes, it's like power five. You talked about trends. Power five schools have more collectives than everybody else. <laughs> I think that's pretty safe to say. But everyone is starting to realize that that's a pretty like, I don't want to say easy because of all the regulations, but it's a it's a pretty intuitive way to support your team, no matter what the team is. Yeah, and I think one aspect of it that goes kind of underlooked is, I mean, obviously the the things that make headlines are the big brands signing college athletes. Mm -hmm. You know, your your Crocs, your Nikes of the world, like your mm -hmm. major athletic brands. But there are plenty of athletes who are making these types of deals with local businesses or working with with people within their own communities. Mm -hmm. um, and so that I think that at least is one part of it that's, that can be really powerful that maybe doesn't necessarily come across as a top headline when it happens. Right, right. And, and I think like when we wanna talk about success in NIL, there's obviously been a lot of talk about like who's making the most, who's making a million dollars, you know, is Paige Becker's making a million dollars? Like who is, you know, making six figures? Mm -hmm. Think back to when you were a college, you know, it's like when you were a college student, when I was a college student, like <laughs> if I got a hundred dollars a week, that would have been a huge win for me. Huge, huge win, game changing win, right? So yes, for a lot, particularly the high profile basketball teams, 
making, you know, the South Carolinas of the world, the Yukons of the world. Um, yeah, the goal is going to be to cash in big. Particular, and then also to make relationships with brands that you're going to bring mm-hmm. into your professional playing career. Right. However, as you said, success comes in many different forms. And really the idea of NIL was just like, when you're a college athlete, you just don't have time to like have a part-time job. You don't have time, you know, particularly if you're making a minimum wage job and you only have five free hours a week to work a campus job, like you're not going to make any, you know, it's like almost not worth it. So on top of being a student. (laughs) Yeah. Student, athlete, you know, a young person who has a social life and also needs to eat and sleep and call their parents sometimes. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? I like you, if you can spend 20 minutes on a social media post and make like a hundred bucks, that's huge. And that was completely prohibited before. So to me, like when people talk about, oh, like the success and comparing, you know, like Drew Timmy to Paige Beckers and who's making more. It's like, that's a fun conversation to have, but really, mm-hmm. you know, and then also bring, let's bring like lessons and clinics into this equation. Mm-hmm. Um, over the summer, when you're not training, you can go back to your hometown and you can give basketball lessons to, you know, the girls at your high school or your middle school. Right. You weren't allowed to do that before. Like people don't right. realize that. <laughs> Um, so all of these things really add up. I mean, and it's, you know, there are big opportunities and there are small opportunities and there are opportunities in between, but the point of the NIL rules was just to give athletes the same opportunities that literally everyone else on their campus already had. Have you ever dealt with sweat stains or had your clothing get uncomfortable because of sweat? I live near the East coast where it gets super humid during the summer. And this is, this feeling is really hard to avoid. Finding products that allow us to go about our day, even on the hottest of days, has been really difficult. But Sweatblock is a great solution. Sweatblock wipes have been a bestseller on Amazon for the past 10 years and have over 10,000 five-star reviews. Don't miss this opportunity to try Sweatblock and help avoid that uncomfortable feeling of being too sweaty or trying to eliminate odors. You should try Sweatblock. Save 20% with the promo code LOCKEDON at sweatblock.com. That's locked on at sweatblock.com. These are also available on Amazon. And that's, I think, what makes the the recent rule changes from the NCAA really interesting, um, especially when we talk about like teams building that infrastructure to support their own athletes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we briefly touched on South Carolina, um, but they have one of the most interesting setups I think that I've seen and that their entire team is guaranteed a certain amount. I think it's 25000 a year um, from NIL deals that are for the entire team right. instead of for an individual. Um, but because of some recent rule changes in the NCAA, there's wonder to whether or not that'll stick around for much longer. So I guess... I keep alluding to these rule changes. <laughs> it's probably good if we we went over a little bit what's the most recent updates to all of this. Yeah. Um, so if you could maybe detail what's been going on recently and and what's got people a little bit worried, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. So I um, 
The NCAA released a few weeks ago now, quote unquote, clarifications to their sort of sparse existing NIL guidance. Um, in my personal opinion, they were not so much clarifications as they were, in many cases, completely new rules, full mm -hmm. stop. Um, there are a lot of state, and this is the first one, which I believe you're alluding to with South Carolina, um, the one that stuck out the most to me, not to a lot of my peers, but to me, was that the NCA explicitly said that athletic department employees cannot negotiate deals on behalf of their athletes. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, when I pointed this out, a lot of people came into my mentions on Twitter saying <laughs> that everyone already knew that, you know, no one was actually doing that. And I'm like, no, no, no. There are lots of schools, think St. John's, think mm -hmm. Boise State, where athletic department officials were absolutely negotiating deals on behalf of their athletes because mm -hmm. they did not have state laws that prohibited that activity before it was all the state laws, right? And, and think about it. It doesn't make a lot of sense why that would not be acceptable because when you have an 18-year-old kid, particularly an 18-year-old kid who may not have money for an agent or a lawyer, it might be useful to have an adult that that person trusts, mm -hmm. you know, maybe an athletic department official hmm, who they can go to and say, hey, I got this email, like I got pitched on doing this deal. Like, what do you think? Right. Mm -hmm. right. And then that, like, of course, advising, I guess, is, is acceptable, but it's like that person can serve as a liaison. And there were lots of schools doing that. Um, and I think that, you know, the quotes that came out this morning or yesterday um, where Don Staley was talking about, you know, like I make a lot of money, so I want my players mm. to make a lot of money and I'm right. helping them. I'm facilitating deals for them. Guess what? She's an athletic department employee. Mm -hmm. So is she negotiating deals? And then is that supposed to be like not legal under the NCA's quote unquote clarification? <laughs> I don't know. So that was one thing. The right. second thing was that, and, and it's not like a lot of schools are doing this now, but they really should be. Um, they're not allowed to offer account like free accounting or legal mm. services, which again, yeah, Indiana was doing that. They actually had a really interesting yes. like volunteer program with the law school that I thought yes. was really yes. cool. They would bring in the law students to help basically mm -hmm. review deals that students had been pitched on. Right. Um, and apparently now that's not allowed. <laughs> well, I think the idea is like, so long as the regular student body has access to those resources. So it's like, mm -hmm. if you, if, if you're so like enlisting your, your law school, like pro bono clinic to come in and review contracts, technically, if that pro bono clinic is like also open to the regular student population, I think it's supposed to be, excuse me. Okay. Which is like, what? I don't know. That's kind of what I was told. But it's like, of all the things to prohibit, why mm -hmm. would you prohibit the ability for an athlete to have free access to somebody that to somebody that has been handpicked by their department who can help them not get scammed, frankly? Right. Okay. This, it made me very upset, as you could probably <laughs> And then the third thing, um, which actually was, was, loosening a regulation, you could say, was to say that athletic department officials could endorse a collective and could ask their donors to donate to said collective so long as they didn't specify what athlete or sport should get mm. the money. 
So that basically, I there was um, there's a Florida state senator who was heavily involved with um, the drafting of Florida's NIL law, and he tweeted that um, that that rule essentially makes collectives the the packs of college sports, like you know. <laughs> in the political sense, right. which I thought was like a brilliant comparison. Um, mm -hmm. So those were the three big things. Definitely. Yeah. And I think at, at the last part that you mentioned about, about the influence that states potentially have on all of this is interesting because none of these things apply if there's a state law that supersedes it. Right. So, right. If, um, right. Right. Yeah. So if the, one other, I guess one other thing that we've been kind of trending towards is national governance regarding NIL. Um, and, and I think the College Athlete Bill of Rights was was the first attempt at, at really solidifying something. I think that was through Cory Booker, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. He was pretty involved with that. But there have been a couple other iterations of things that have died pretty quickly in Congress. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you've heard, I guess, what's the what's the latest update, I guess, on on where federal regulation stands. Because if there's a federal law, then everybody has to follow that. Right, so the thing about the federal regulation, which I think those of us in the college sports space forget, is that Congress is pretty busy and they have lots of problems that are mm -hmm. not our problem. You know, I mean, they're all our problems, but like not the college sports problems. However, I will say that there has there, there was a lot more momentum um, before the NIL era began to pass a law. There were multiple congressional hearings in the House and in the Senate on NIL. N it never went anywhere. As you said, the College Athlete Bill of Rights has now been introduced twice um, right. because every with every new Congress, you have to introduce, reintroduce your bill. So the latest bill that has been getting, I guess, like a lot of press would be um, it, it's a bill between Senators Tommy Tuberville and Joe Manchin, mm -hmm. who are, um, you know, ha over the past several months have been in the process of drafting legislation. The question of whether or not there is ever going to be um, a federal NIL law, and, and when I say ever, I guess I mean in the next year, um, <laughs> <laughs> is really... I, you know, I think a lot of it obviously has to do with the election results. And at the time of <laughs> uh, recording, <laughs> we <laughs> do not know who controls the Senate. Um, you know, we right. do not like, you know, there is going to be a runoff in Georgia and that is going to affect the ability for an NIL bill to get passed. Because while um, hating on the NCAA is remarkably bipartisan, um, to the point where there are very few things in this country that are like more bipartisan, at least in it's the last true. couple of years, than hating on the NCAA. Um, you know, there are still a a lot of politicians who have no interest, you know, in this, and b um, of the ones who do, there's a very stark, as with many things, split on. Um, you know, what an NIL bill should entail and what it should look like. The conservatives, um, you know, this Tuberville Mansion bill is probably going to lean more conservative for obvious reasons. Um, does that mean that it's more likely to get passed? Maybe. But again, it depends on who controls the Senate, because who controls the Senate is going to dictate 
literally everything that our politicians do at the right. federal level for the next two years. So that's kind of my non-answer. <laughs> yeah, and if you did have an answer, then it'd be the the million dollar answer, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I think the last thing that we can maybe touch on um, to wrap wrap things up. Um, so right now, obviously, we talked about the federal regulation potential here. But there's also another case, class action lawsuit, headed to the courts once again. And you briefly touched on it before, but it's the House versus NCAA, which I believe is now a class action lawsuit as of a couple weeks ago. I believe so. It was certified, yes. Yep. And so it's another antitrust case. And it basically takes the open invitation that Brett Kavanaugh set at the end of the last case, which was somebody sue and we'll see what happens. Um, Because like you mentioned, the other, the previous case was mostly about those, was limited to those, those educational or the non-educational payments. Um, And so now they're kind of opening the door to potentially looking at everything else that's also involved in that. So I guess in terms of this specific case, this might be another option that we could go through while perhaps the federal regulation is is kind of where I'm sitting and waiting for that. What kind of influence do you think this case has had so far and where do you where do you see it going in the next couple of months? So I think that the cases mean I mean, first of all, this is something we have to remember that these cases take a long time mm-hmm. to sort of wind through the courts. So the, the House case has been sort of in the works for a while. It mm-hmm. just got class certification, but it's been it, it's been on the docket for a while. Um, and I think that if there is a trial, a decision um, that is in favor of the athletes, it would A, cost the NCAA a lot of money because mm-hmm. they're asking for damages, which is like essentially saying that they're asking the NCAA to pay all the athletes who didn't make NIL money before the rules passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing, which is the most interesting thing to me, is how the case defines NIL. Currently, mm-hmm. media rights revenue is not considered NIL in college sports, even though it is considered such in the pros. And let me explain that briefly. So in the pros, you have um, your players unions that negotiate on behalf of the players, the media, right? You know, their their package of money that they get um, or their cut that they get from the TV revenue that the league and the teams receive. Right. Mm -hmm. So and that's considered like kind of NIL because the athletes are playing on TV and their faces are on TV. (laughs) Like it's pretty intuitive. Right. So it's a bit strange that the NCAA was able to say, Oh, but actually like the media rights revenue, uh, does is not NIL revenue, even though the players faces are on TV and you're watching them. Um, and well, the players faces are on there on top of like, they're playing in stadiums that are branded. They're playing with university uniforms that are branded. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's, a lot of different things altogether. <laughs> yeah, and now they're in the commercials too. Right. <laughs> and the other thing that I should have mentioned was the NCAA tried to um, preempt this by putting in their latest guidance that that conferences cannot share media rights revenue with athletes mm. as an NIL deal. Okay. We'll see how we'll see how that goes. 
But that's what the House case is trying to say, is that the media rights revenue is NIL. Therefore, the players not only can get a cut, but they should get a cut. Um, Mm -hmm. And by the way, this isn't this was like a pretty controversial idea, like even a few years ago. But now Mm -hmm. it's like kind of not like the rich conferences, the college football playoff, the Big Ten are two examples of where their leaders haven't outright come out and said, we're going to do this, but they have sort of, you know, hinted, (laughs) like just like ever so slightly hinted that like maybe we would consider exploring sharing media rights revenue Mm -hmm. or at least other benefits because we are so rich (laughs) that we don't know what to do with the money. And we recognize (laughs) that it's kind of looking bad. So right. to make all of this money off of what in some cases are literal children. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of where the house case would go. I mean, again, it just mm-hmm. got class certification. I mean, it, this is going to take a while. The Johnson right. case, which is about whether or not athletes are employees, um, oral arguments are going to be heard in a month. I mean, that case okay. has also been in the works for a while. Oral arguments. Oral arguments for the specific question of whether or not athletes are employees, which was sent up to the Third Circuit, which is a court of appeals, which is one level below the Supreme Court. Um, So that argument is going to be heard. But even once it's heard and decided, then they just send the answer to that question back down to the district court. And then they, Mm -hmm. like, adjudicate the case as such. Right. It's going to take a while. (laughs) And that's how you get a whole year of work even before the NIL even comes to pass. (laughs) It's it's truly, I mean, you know, I, um, a lot of my friends went to law school. I didn't go to law school. Um, I would not have survived law school, but I do sometimes (laughs) feel like my job is way more similar to their jobs than I ever expected as a sports writer, which is not a bad thing. It's very interesting, but um, yeah. Absolutely. And I guess it's also worth mentioning just for our listeners that, so the reason I I bring up the house case specifically is that Sedona Prince is a noted, she's one of the listed plaintiffs on that case. She's one of the named plaintiffs. Right. And she, if you're paying attention to Oregon basketball, is not going to be playing basketball this year because of an elbow injury. So It'll be interesting to see how involved she gets with this and 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 whether whether we see anything from her during all this time about it. Yeah, so. I mean, it's interesting too because like as a as a plaintiff, she can't talk about it unless like her mm-hmm. lawyer gives her the okay, which is is very standard across all legal cases. I mean, right? Because think about it, you don't want to you're, you know, you're suing somebody, you don't want to get on some you know tv program and say something that the other side can use against you um but i mean she has very quietly been one of the drivers of nil rights she has not gotten a lot of credit for it publicly um but you know she's been part of this case since you know long before alston was decided so that's Mm -hmm. definitely i'm glad that's important for you to know for sure Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think all of this has been super interesting. And I'm so glad that you were able to join us and and come talk about this. I mean, truly, it's one of the most interesting 
parts of college sports for me, at least right now, is, is the idea of compensation and fair compensation. And eventually we'll see how Title IX is going to fold into all of this. So it's going to be a very interesting year and a half and probably more. Yes, <laughs> um, and so, when, yeah. yes absolutely. And one thing, I'll, the last thing I'll say is when the next um, media rights deal gets negotiated for NCAA championships mm -hmm. and women's basketball is slated to um, bring in alone at least 118 million um, annually, there will be an even bigger push, in my humble opinion, for um, women's basketball players to get paid because then they'll be able to have the receipts of how much money they're bringing in, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. And I'm so, again, so glad that, that we were able to make this happen and happy to have you back on whenever you want. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Locked On Women's Basketball today. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts every single day. Make sure to listen out for our episodes on Fridays with Jackie Powell and over the weekend on Saturdays, our big draft WNBA coverage. Thanks again, everybody, and have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out Locked On Sports today. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts.